lights up in a seedy back alleyway on the wrong side of town. Dave Skullcrusher approaches a shady figure wearing a hoodie standing by a nondescript door. Um, hi there. Do you, uh, are you the one I come to for the truffles? Oh, the truffles, of course. And he looks up and pulls down the hoodie and surprise, it is Skag Skags. Mm, it's you again. Thought I'd gotten rid of you. Oh, well, you know, I did have to spend quite a bit of time in the hospital recovering from that nasty gut wound, but uh, I figured, okay, so here's the situation. I don't have the truffles on me at the moment, but we can get the truffles in the prize pot if you do just a little bit of a one-two beat-em-up beat-em-up here in this underground fighting ring for me. I don't, I can't do, I'm, I don't have a hand. How am I supposed to win a fight? Hey, you're Dave Skullcrusher. You have, you know, years of training, I'm sure. I mean, I've never actually... I'm not an MMA fan. I've never watched any of your fights. But surely you are the best of the best. And he puts his arm around you and starts trying to move you towards the doorway. But he is so small and you are so large that he cannot actually get any purchase. I I thought this was just like a come in and buy it type of deal. It's the prize. Like you have to be first place if you want the truffle. Well, that is uh, unfortunately the way that it's going. It's... I've found myself in a bad way. You know, truffles have been really underperforming this season. Not many people have actually got them in stock. So if you want to get truffles, you got to get them through some shady means. I mean, that's why you reached out to me in the first place, right? Right, I suppose. I just... I didn't expect it to go down like this. Yes, I'm sure you didn't, but that's what happens when you turn to a life of crime. And you know what? I saw it in your eyes when we were first on that show together. I just knew this man has it in him and gives you one of those very slow winks. I thought I told you to stop doing that. Okay, okay, whatever. You know, just uh, if you want the truffles, they're right inside here. And he starts kind of skipping backwards almost towards the door. And he opens it up and starts slinking inside. Ooh, truffles right in here. Ooh, ooh and then disappears through the door and closes it. I'll go through the door. All right, all right, wait for me. And you walk through, and it's kind of this smoky, very dimly lit warehouse-style room. There's kind of a honky-tonk harpsichord playing in one side of the room, and in the very center is a raised platform with a couple of fighters on top of it. This is barely even MMA. This is a fight club. Well, you know, I would have told you about it, but there's just one rule here, and I couldn't break that one rule, you know? I had a, I had a suspicion. How do you know? How do I even know I can trust you? We're not exactly buddy buddy, are we? That's a good question. That's a very good question. Do you trust me? I don't. I, we need to make a business arrangement, right? We're splitting the truffle 50-50, right? Oh yes. Of actually, course. why are we splitting a 50-50? If I do the fighting, why do you get any of it? Dang it! I was hoping you wouldn't think of that. Um. Okay. Fine. We win. You can take the truffles. I'll take whatever else is in the pot. And it will, we'll just call it even, you know? There's other stuff in the pot, other than the truffles. Oh, you know, just a few things here and there. That's fine then, I guess. I just really need those truffles for my mom's birthday, you know? Oh, wow, this just got very real and sincere all of a sudden. Uh, how, how is your mom doing these days? Oh, she's doing alright. Um, things are better between her and my dad since I lost my hand, which is odd to say. Seems like it gave him something to bond over, but... Anyway, it's just her birthday. I used to make a black truffle linguine that she was a big fan of and thought she might like it again. 
Anyway, I just really need that truffle, so you can have whatever else is in the pot. Amazing, because I really, really need a PS5 for my brother, and they're just so difficult to come by these days. Oh my goodness, I should have asked what was in the pot. Hey, not my fault, not my fault you weren't interested, but you know, I'm very glad that you're going to be firing against the champion because uh, I'm a little frightened by her, but don't you worry, you're going to do fine, you're going to do just fine. And he smacks you on the shoulder and zips off in kind of a puff of smoke. <sighs> I'll grab whoever's closest by. Excuse me, who do I talk to to enter a fight? Ah, yes, you're going to go right over there to that bloke with the big old hat. All right, thanks, mate. Um, hey, uh, I was wondering if I could do a fight? Like, be in the fight? Fight someone? And he turns and looks you up and down, and he does, in fact, have a very big hat. And he looks you up and down and says, Wait just a moment, you're Dave Skullcrusher, ain't ya? Yes, I am. It's not a big deal, though. I just... Oh, I think it is a big deal. We're going to cut you right from the bottom up to the very top. You are one of the best fighters i ever done seen. you got maybe a little bit of a handicap at the moment, based on what I've heard in the news. But I think you are going to be just what our audience wants to see, fighting against the reigning champion. I guess. Um, it's It feels a little un- unfair. No, it's fine. I, why, I shouldn't argue against myself. I appreciate the jump. Do you think people really still want to see me in the ring? Oh, I think people are going to be stoked as can be to see you back in the ring, especially in such a uh, an environment as this. All right, well, when's the fight? I believe the champion is getting into the ring right now. And you hear a dinging of a bell and the audience starts roaring and you hear a voice coming from the stage behind you. Oh, come right up to Bumbray half poor governor. No. And you turn and see Gladia Chittenden Chalmondly walking into the ring, waving her hands high with a pair of oven mitts on. I was never the biggest fan of hers. Oh, so we've already got some beef, is what you're saying. And he starts pushing you towards the ring, and he leaps up into the center and grabs the announcer's microphone from the top and says, Ladies and germs, the fight of a lifetime. You are not going to believe what we've got here today. Formerly competitors on the pleasantly, the perfectly, whatever that show was that was called the IP-friendly name that we came up with. Formerly competitors in the bowls, now competitors in the octagon itself. We have Gladia Chittenden Charmondly versus, for the first time coming back into the fighting circuit, Dave Skullcrusher. And the audience goes absolutely wild at this point. You see people are like shooting off Roman candles into the air. <laughs> They're doing like their own low budget pyrotechnics here for you. Thank you. Thanks. I'm uh, happy to be here. Um, listen, it's there's no hard feelings, right? I just really need some truffle so we can just do this fight get it over with. Oh no, laddie, if they do half or not, they should do it for the self. And then she just punches you right in the gut. Oh my gosh, I still have no idea what you're saying. <laughs> I'll get back up and uh, try and throw a right hook, I guess, and swing right for her chin. Alright, we're going to kind of abstract this very simple dice rolls. Let's just roll the four fake dice and we'll see who gets better. Plus two. Minus three. Oh my gosh, that connected so much better than I meant for it to. I'm so sorry. Are you okay? Are you okay? Oh, what if I don't see the black pudding in the morning, darling? I don't know what that means, and I'll punch her again. <laughs> All right. Okay, we'll do this kind of a contest. We'll make it best two out of three is the one who's going to win the competition, so you could take it right now. 
minus one. Oh, and she gets a plus two. So you lean down to try to try and get her back up, and she plants her mitts on the ground and just puts both feet right into your chest, kind of pushes you back off of her, and then does a kip up onto her feet and starts moving towards you. You can hear her bones kind of creaking, and she says, Oh, but down the Thames and all I've done had a bad time, babe. How are you so nimble? <laughs> <laughs> I got another minus one. She also got a minus one. So you reach the center, you like grasp hands, and you're kind of like Greco-Roman style wrestling now, trying to shove each other off your feet. And the audience is going absolutely wild at this point. Let's get one final roll to see who takes it. Plus one. Minus one. <sighs> So yeah, I keep pushing her slowly back little by little until she just falls off the edge of the raged platform, sumo style. And the bell ding, ding, dings. The audience is going crazy. The guy with the hat jumps up into the center, grabs your left hand and holds it up into the air. And he says, we have a new champion in the underground circuit, everybody. Dave Skullcrusher. And the audience is cheering like crazy. They bring out the prize pot. It's this big old sort of metal trophy cup. And inside of it, there's a PS5. There's a one-wheel electric rideable. There is a copy of the old E.T. Atari game <laughs> that is super hard to find because everybody tried to get rid of it and remove all evidence of its existence from the universe. And on top is a big old nice bowl of truffles. This nice little china ceramic bowl with little flowers around the outside. Oh my goodness. Uh, thank you. And I uh, take the bowl of truffles off the top and just kind of like drop the rest of the cup and I lean in and I'm like listen um she can honestly keep the uh like championship I just need the truffles yeah well you know honestly she's probably not really going to remember any of this so if we just tell her that she's still the champion she's probably going to be fine right well I hope I never see you again if I'm being honest oh, I hope I don't well, have to come back here okay whatever man this I, I'm sorry I'm not trying to be rude I'm just I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable being back in the uh, fighting ring well if it's any consolation I think the way that you acted tonight is evidence of a fine fighting spirit and I think if you ever want to get back into it one-handed or not you've got the fire and uh, I sort of stop and ponder and kind of smile I guess maybe it wouldn't be the end of the world if I saw you again. And Skag Skags comes leaning in from the side of the frame and he's got that cup with all of the other rewards in it. And he says, just like I said right from the beginning, life of crime suits you mighty well, Dave. And gives you a very slow wink. Lights up on a bright savanna. Trees and ferns all over the place, the sun beginning to dapple through them in beautiful patterns. Insects sort of flitting lazily about in the warming morning sun. And a shadow falls over one of the butterflies before it is snapped out of the air with a rapid motion as a raptor comes into the scene, dew glistening on its back as it's just woken up and is going to get its breakfast. And it moves into a clearing where there is a great group of raptors, very bestial in nature, but forming some sort of odd society almost. 
There are structures, there have been areas cleared out for sort of the living area for these raptors. And on the far side, on kind of an elevated platform made of branches piled on top of each other, uh, is a very interesting raptor. A raptor wearing a tattered suit and an apron, and he stretches as the morning air washes over him. Oh, what a beautiful day it is today. And one of the raptors walks over to you and in its screeching lizard speak that you have over the course of your time with the raptors learned how to speak yourself, turns to you and says, Ah, well, Dr. Bond, it is fine that you have woken up this morning. Are we ready for the raid on the other Velociraptor tribe across the way? I think we are. Um, what is the dilly-dally on all our troops today? Ah, well, Riptooth over there has gathered together a contingency of raptors that are ready to go right into the front. Coming in behind that, we're going to have a couple different ranks. Crush Jaw is going to lead the second rank, and we're going to go in with a bit of a pincer maneuver and take them by surprise. Very good. Very good, and I'm uh, sure that uh, Raptor Gogo has uh, perfected the fire water that I taught him. Ah, yes, it is going to really surprise these terrible folks over there. Stealing all of the baking supplies from us, we've not a single whisk amongst us. And that won't do. Ah, I love the smell of gumption in the morning. You all have just reeking of gumption. Let's get to it then. And a fly kind of wafts into, there's a visible stink line that is raising up from this raptor general and a fly lazily hovers into it and instantly just drops dead onto the forest floor. And he says, gumption is a powerful scent indeed. Don't you worry, I'll rally the troops. All right, I shall wait, await your wait. And you hear a drumming noise on a hollow log as this raptor is stamping his feet rhythmically on top of it. And all of the other raptors begin to kind of chant and gather around you. Just this cacophony of lizard-like squawks coming up all over the place. And as he finishes his drumming on the log, they all go silent and look up at you expectantly. All right, chaps. The next song will be the one that I taught you earlier. God save the queen. (laughs) And uh, an even larger cacophony goes up as Captain Riptooth goes over and raises a very shoddily made British flag up a flagpole. It's just a bunch of like leaves that have all been pressed together and part of it falls off as it's blowing in the wind. And all these raptors sing the praises of your good queen, readying themselves for this raid. Gentlemen, my fine prehistoric brethren, we gather here today to unmask the slaughter of the other tribe. I have been welcomed as one of your brethren. I have learned your ways, and I have perfected them, shall I say. And we have created a community here, a commune. And we have perfected this reptilian society to what it will really become in the future. England. And they all cheer and they're clapping and you see a couple of them have these like fake mustaches that they've made out of palm fronds that they put on their noses. You get just all these cheers of, oh, yes, cheerio, righto, righto. All right, pip, pip, let's go. 
you all get into formation and you start making your way across the no man's land in between your little cluster of trees here and another cluster that you know your rivals to be living in. As you're getting closer, you've got this old spyglass that you found among all of the debris when the entire park kind of collapsed into anarchy. And you look out and you can see fluttering up above that stand of trees is another crudely put together flag. This one closely resembling the French flag. Ah, the French? Who might I say is leading this band of nillywaggers? Your previous captain, who I just realized doesn't actually have a name, his name is Clawboy. Uh, he just comes walking up to you and says, Well, it seems that since the last time we did some reconnaissance over there, perhaps another human has come in and set up camp. I can't imagine why they would take on these ghastly colors. Dr. Fitzgerald? How dare you? This was my idea to become a raptor and to write a new book. What might I say are you doing here? And what is that ridiculous flag that you're waving? And you see there is, in fact, another human who is walking towards you, a beret upon his head, and says, uh, Dr. Bond, you uh, do not recall the, the rivalry we had back in our school days? How you impressed all of the professors with your dissertation about raptor society and how they could be more than just mere primordial beings. They believed you, and yet my ideas were shunted by the wayside. But I have come back to prove my superiority to you. Your superiority, <laughs> As I do recall that those dissertations didn't just woo over the professors, might I add. Hmm. He scowls and says, Catherine was going to be mine, and yet she was swayed by your preposterous ideas. I'll show you preposterous on guard. You reach in and you pull out your club that you've made out of like a tree branch and you've got a bunch of like forks and other cooking utensils sticking out of it at various odd angles and you go rushing in with it and he comes in with a single very long ladle that you can see he's sharpened up along the edges and you enter into your duel. Let's make this a bit of a contest. Best two out of three is going to come out on top. Flat zero. Also a flat zero. So you're parrying and reposting back and forth, and all of your raptors have gathered around you in a semicircle, and all of his raptors have gathered in another semicircle on the other side. You see them all wearing berets that are just like giant mushroom caps that they've put on top of their heads. Your raptors are cheering, his raptors are cheering, and as you're going back and forth, you are perfectly match for match. Every thrust you make, he blocks. Every swipe he throws at you, you leap out of the way of. It's just almost this beautiful dance of these two feral academics going back and forth. Ha! You fight like my sister. I think that is a great compliment. I heard many times about how your sister used to beat you when you were younger. Flat zero. <laughs> he got a minus one. So in this instance, it's not necessarily so much your superiority over him as it is his overconfidence. He levels that quip at you and rushes in to slash at you with his ladle, and you manage to get him right in the behind with a particularly pointy fork sticking out of your club, and he leaps like five feet up into the air and his legs windmill around like a cartoon before he falls back down with his ego a little bit bruised. His raptors start hissing at you and all of yours give up a cheer of hurrah! Ah, I see that you now take my point, huh, Ninny? Your English puns will do no good against me. Flat zero. 
and he got a minus two. <laughs> oh, so consistent. Okay, so at this point, he is not as confident and not with as much bravado as he had before. It's like in The Princess Bride, where Inigo and the Dread Pirate Roberts are fighting back and forth. It's only when Inigo kind of loses control and just starts swinging wildly that he's finally defeated. He comes in with that ladle, and he's just whipping it every which way that he possibly can, and he's letting down his guard. And you manage to get in right in front of him and pin him down to the ground with your club against his chest. And all of the raptors go into a hushed silence in anticipation. I shall say you have been bested. Stay down, and you might live. He scowls up at you, and he takes his ladle and turns it around with the handle towards you and says... Perhaps I shall not be the victor this day, but slaving under a tyrant is better than death, I suppose. I knew you would come to your senses soon. It's only a matter of time before one can have so many bad ideas that they'll have a good one. And all of your raptors are going around and corralling up the French raptors and putting them into handcuffs made out of vines and leaves and whatnot. You begin leading them back towards your camp and the sun shines bright on another new day as you look out and see your kingdom. No longer a kingdom of books and of pens and cramped desks, but a kingdom of dinosaurs. lights up on a little private island just off the coast of Maine. It is bright and early in the morning. The sun is just coming up over the horizon, shining through the beautiful crashing suds of the Atlantic coast of the upper United States. Joining Trex, the Velociraptor, is young Timmy Tommy Tutum, who is visiting with his old friend and is doing some field research. He's got a lot of administrative stuff that he's doing for the baking show these days and figured he wanted to get some insights from what Trex had been learning off on his sort of pilgrimage, as it were. Oh, Timmy, Tommy, Tutum, it's so good to see you. It's been so long. Yes, I've grown a couple years, grown a couple feet. I'm not quite as young as I once was, but I mean, that's probably for the best since I'm in a cutthroat television entertainment industry and they do take advantage of young people. That's right. I've been learning my way around, though. That is very good to hear. I have been following you. If I move my satellite dish in just the right way, I can, in fact, receive somewhat of a blurry reception out here. I'm a little remote, but sometimes I do connect and I have been following you. And might I say, you were just doing very well. You were an incredible baker. Oh, thank you very much, Mr. Trex. I will say it was difficult getting a hold of you. This is the first time I've ever had to send a message by telegram. Uh, I've had to learn Morse code just to talk to you. That is a feat in and of itself, let me tell you. I'm so grateful that you did, though, because that is really the easiest way to reach me. Like I said, I get terrible reception here. You know, it's the Atlantic, so messages in a bottle even don't get here too reliably. Mm -hmm. Quite difficult. So yes, the telegram system works quite well. That's the most reliable. I'm glad you did. I was so pleased to receive your telegram. Yes, well, I'm sure that you've been discovering all kinds of interesting new recipes out here on the main coast, and I want to take something new and exciting back to London with me. So what kind of recipes have have you been learning out here? First of all, not sure where this came from exactly, but I've found a bunch of crates of 
tea that have washed up on this island. How interesting. Yes, it seems that they, uh, all the way from Boston or something like that, I mean, they seem very old. These are decrepit. I'm surprised <laughs> that they are still holding intact. It's amazing. The tea actually comes in like these big cakes, and many of them were wrapped so thoroughly that the water has not yet penetrated them, even in what seems like a couple hundred years. So I've been making tea cakes. And he has one of the cakes of tea that he's unwrapped and he's giving it a whiff and he says, that is very pungent. It is. I only use a very small amount, so I've been able to make many, many tea cakes, even with just this one crate. But I have more, I found. And he brings it over to the table that you've set up with all of the baking implements and says, right, well, let's get it started then. All right. The first thing that you're going to need, I see I've been trying to incorporate as many of the natural elements of this beautiful island that I have found into my baking. And so as you can see, I have some dried kelp that I have already crushed up and prepared for us. I have salt from the sea. And you did bring the flour, did you not? I was hoping you would. Oh, yes. My entire backpack was full of nothing but flour. I don't have any other supplies with me because it was a lot of flour. Perfect. Because I have been running out and I really needed more flour. So thank you so much. I appreciate that. In truth, I did run out and I tried to substitute sand for a while. It really doesn't work the same way. It's just so gritty. Mm. And he's looking around at all of the different ingredients that you've spread out on the table. And he goes, Mr. Trix, I don't know if I've ever asked, are you a vegetarian? That is a very interesting question. And I have asked myself that question many times. (laughs) I have tried and I feel like my carnivore's makeup isn't quite designed to survive on a purely vegetarian diet. But most of the time, I eat these beans as my source of protein. I grow them here. And when things get really bad, I go fishing. Oh, yes. I mean, you've got no shortage of fish out here. I suppose there's, you know, Maine is famous for its lobsters. So there's probably a number of those little sea insects running around this place. That's right. There are. And they are delicious. And I especially love using my big claw on my feet to just crack open the shells. It's quite satisfying, actually. And I don't feel quite as bad and it also doesn't activate the same predator's instinct, you know, as going out and hunting something else that runs on its feet. I I just feel more classified and more dignified when I'm eating a nice salmon or eating lobster. Yes, uh, the predator's instinct, apparently you don't even have to be born of a lobsteraptor to have that because I went and talked with Dr. Bond recently and oh boy, that was a bad idea. Really? Um, How is he doing? I haven't heard anything. Oh, you'll hear all about it in his episode where we get to that point. But (laughs) needless to say, he's having a wild time over there with the other dinosaurs. Wonderful. All right, well, we have our flour, we have our kelp, we have our tea, and we have these birthday candles that I have made because you can't have cakes without birthday candles. And so mixing all of those together in your giant turtle shell, sea turtle shell. Oh, yes, just the candles in there and all along with it. I've discovered it works best if you do put those in last, but I do like to mix them in and make sure that some ends are sticking out so you can light them on fire, but you still have a nice crunch. Of course, these are are fascinating candles. What are you making these out of here on the island? So the wick I have made from a certain type of vine that grows very well here. And the wax is interesting. I found a worm. And if you place the worm in a stressful situation, they will sweat. And the sweat makes an excellent wax. (laughs) 
wow. Uh, what does a worm get stressed by? I mean, I just think of earth-shattering news, and usually that's enough. Mm, yes, earth-shattering news does have a bit of a different sort of context when you're living in the earth. It does. It doesn't take much, actually. They're quite stressful little creatures. Indeed. Well, I've mixed this all up thoroughly. I've got the candles kind of poking out there at the ends as well. Uh, what, could, what do you use for an oven here? I have built one right here, as you can see. We have this campfire, and I've built this sort of big, you might call it sort of a pizza oven sort of thing, you know, out of rocks and things like that. A few, you know, I think there's an anchor somewhere in there. Maybe even, is that a diving helmet? Just lots of, you know, detritus that has washed up on the shores. I've built this oven. If you stick the cakes in there for a few minutes, they'll be baked perfectly. I can't help noticing there are a number of Spanish doubloons uh, incorporated into the side of this oven here. Would, would you mind terribly if I just grab one or two of these? Of course not. Just make sure that whatever you take, you do not harm the integrity of this oven. It has collapsed on me several times. And he's like reaching, he's got his fingernails around one of the doubloons and kind of pulls on it and the entire thing shudders <laughs> and he reluctantly puts it back in place. I'm so sorry. Maybe, I'm sure there's another one. Let me find this one and I'll pull one out. Uh, go ahead and just roll to see what happens to your oven. Plus one. All right. It's a little shaky. Uh, you notice that a couple things are about to fall out, but you manage to catch them at the last moment. And you hand the doubloon over to Timmy Tommy, and he looks up at you with bright, shining stars in his eyes. There you are, Timmy Tommy Tutum, your very own doubloon. Yes, this is going to bring me lots of luck, I'm sure. Now, to bake these cakes, uh, he's taken them and sort of shaped them into little scone-type mounds on just a flat piece of shale that you've given him and slides it into your oven there. And as it begins baking, uh, you guys are like sitting on one of the rocks, looking out at the sea, watching the puffins go flying by. And he says, Mr. Trex, do you get lonely here on the island by yourself? <sighs> you know I do. It was lonelier at first. But then I really found that by spending this time out here, in my solitude, I sort of connected with who I was. I, that whole business with Professor Fortinbras and all the things that went down at the perfectly proper baking show, it was a lot to take in, and I feel like I needed some time to process it, but I have been feeling better. It's been a while. Do you get lonely, Timmy Tommy? Well, it's a, it's a busy sort of gig that I'm involved in. I don't actually get to go home to be with my parents very often because I'm often on the road or I'm on set. You know, they usually have me sleep there. They don't have bunkers in the new sort of locations uh, like we had back when we first met. And so it does get a little stressful at times. But I've got myself a Nintendo 3DS that my parents got me back when I was much, much younger. And that helped to keep me, you know, engaged for a bit of time. But, you know, I do miss the time that we spent together back in the day, even though we were being attacked by mad scientists and all that. Yes. Isn't it interesting how even the hard times of your life, once you've made it through them and you do look back on them, sometimes even they can feel pleasant and you can long for them. At that point, you hear, uh, you would like set a bell on a string over the fire. And as the string has become sufficiently burned, the bell just kind of falls and climbs <laughs> on the rocks. Oh, time is done. Let's take them out. Let's see how you did. I'm going to roll to see how he did. That's going to be a negative three. Wonderful. Trix will take them out with his three opposable thumbs and pop one entirely into his mouth, candles and all. Uh, they're already, like, on fire a little bit from the oven, <laughs> just the edges of them. 
We've already established that Trex can't taste spicy. I'm going to say he also can't taste salty very well. So he really doesn't care. I mean, given the ingredients, these are extremely salty cakes, but he thinks they're great. And Timmy Tommy takes a bite and he does not flinch at all as he feels this cacophony of flavors wash over his tongue. He chews and is choking it down and says, Well, you know, Mr. Trex, if you ever want to come back, we'd be happy to have you as a guest baker. Really? I'll think about that. I would like that. It does get a bit lonely here. Looks around, stares off at maybe a ship that's sailing by, kind of gives it a wave. Well, if you ever want to get in touch, you've got my telegram information. I do. I can contact you nearly instantaneously. It's amazing. The wonders of modern technology. And as you guys are crunching on your tea biscuits using centuries-old tea and just the saltiest ingredients you could find from the ocean, (laughs) you're watching the ships going past, the sun setting behind you far off on the other side of the earth. 